Good morning. Good morning. And uh, as some of you um, uh, are aware, if you're not, just to let you know, this service also goes out on Facebook. Um, and like Graham last week, I've recorded a shorter sermon, which is more focused on um, people who um, uh, perhaps don't go to church usually. And uh, so please do encourage people to friends and family to connect in, in with that. Mark puts that together each week and which we're very grateful for. Um, that's probably encouraged you, of course. Now you want to listen to the shorter sermon, don't you? But um, sorry, you've got to put up with a slightly longer sermon, but hopefully not too long. So, yes. One word we've all learned, uh, and here probably fed up of hearing, of course, uh, over recent weeks, uh, is, the, is the word, or two words, social distancing. Keeping your distance from other people so that you do not catch or do not spread uh, the COVID-19 virus. I just wonder, I, I wonder how Jesus would get on with social distancing. Somehow I think it might have been quite difficult for him. I mean, one of the things we know is, is that Jesus attracted crowds of, of people to, um, who came, to, came to, to see him, to listen to him, no doubt because of the, they'd heard about the miracles and the healings. Uh, some, no doubt, just out of curiosity to see who this, this guy was. So Jesus was used to dealing with crowds. I don't know what you think about crowds. Perhaps we, um, it's all right for a short while. But the interesting thing about Jesus, isn't it, is when he saw the crowd, and we read this on several occasions, when he saw a crowd of people, he had compassion on them. He didn't just see them as a crowd, a lot of faceless faces, as it were. He saw them as individual people, and he was concerned about them as individuals. We read, don't we, that uh, one crowd he looked at, he said they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd, desperately lost. And in danger is how he saw them. He had compassion on them. And just as it's just a thought, as we come out of, uh, we've, as uh, Graham Mark referring to earlier, as we come out of social distancing, maybe, maybe we need to be thinking about how we see people. Do we see people lost and in desperate need? Perhaps we could be praying now start to pray how we make uh, connections with people, how we perhaps build on the relationships we might even have formed with them during these last few weeks. And most of all, how we might share the good news with them. That's something really important to think about and pray about, isn't it? Anyway, we're coming to read it to John chapter five. And uh, we've already seen a wonderful little video of the story. Um, it's a, a wonderful story, isn't it? And Jesus, again, is with a crowd in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been crowded because it's one of the five uh, major festivals, uh, three major festivals, rather. And we don't know which one it was. So loads of people would have been there. But Jesus is with a very different crowd today, isn't he? Jesus is with that crowd of people that are at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda, um, one of the possible meanings of that word is house of mercy. And it's... A crowd of, uh, as I said, a crowd of people who are sick. I don't know, why is Jesus there? That's a good question to ask ourselves. But they're there because they're looking, aren't they, for some supernatural 
healing. And throughout history and even today, there are people that go to places, aren't they, looking for supernatural healing. Perhaps the one that we're most well known uh, in, in, the, in Europe, of course, is Lourdes in France. Millions of people go to Lourdes hoping, looking for uh, a blessing, looking for healing because of something that supposedly happened a couple of centuries ago. But it's sad really, isn't it? That people feel they have to do that to try and find healing. It's an example of religion and what religion looks like. And uh, we'll touch on that perhaps a bit later. So Jesus goes to this pool of Bethesda. You can go and look at it yourself if you want to now. Not much of a pool to see now. They found it underneath a crusader chapel that was built uh, during the Crusades. Um, a pool of Bethesda. And Jesus goes there. And there's all these people sitting around, lying around, just waiting, hoping. They believed, didn't they, that there was this phenomenon where, where the, the waters would be stirred. They took that to be an angel doing that. And if they got into the water, maybe they could be healed. What a sad life for those people. Not really a life at all, was it? Just a, an existence. And Jesus goes and meets this man. The only thing we know about this guy is that he'd been paralyzed and invalid for 38 years. That's all we know. We don't know how old he was, how long he'd been there, anything. But Jesus knows this man and he knows about the 38 years. And we're just going to focus our talk today, if you like, around the three things that Jesus says to this man. Three, in one sense, very unusual things to say to him. And the first one is, is do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Yes. I mean, imagine walking up to somebody in the street who's in a wheelchair and tapping them on the shoulder and said, uh, would, saying, you know, would you, would you like to walk? I think that would be regarded as at least inappropriate, insensitive, maybe even rude. And yet that's what Jesus says to this guy. Do you want to get well? Well, maybe it's a good question. Do people want to get well? Does everyone want to get well? Maybe for this guy, if he was to get well, he wouldn't be able to do what probably he did every other day. And that was to perhaps beg for for help assistance from other people so jesus speaks to this man do you want to get well here's a question for us do we do we want to be made whole that's another word for well isn't it a, a bigger word because it's not just talking about physical health do we want to be made whole because that's what God wants for us. Are there things in our lives that we should change, that we know we should change? Attitudes, behaviours, relationships. If the answer is yes, then like this chap, we need to focus on Jesus. Because that's what Jesus is causing him to do. By speaking to him and asking that question, Jesus is getting him to turn away from the pool, as it were, and look at him. Do you want to get well? And the man answers basically, yes, but I can't. I can't because somebody always gets into the pool ahead of me. You see, 
I need somebody's help and nobody's here to help me. Maybe he's hoping Jesus would be that one to help him into the pool. And then Jesus says, the second piece of conversation with this guy is he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Get up, walk, walk away. <laughs> That's an amazing thing to say, isn't it? Somebody who's been, who's been lame for 38 years. You know, don't you, that if we're in hospital for any length of time and um, we don't exercise, our muscles start to contract, start to literally waste away. Now, this guy hasn't walked for 38 years. I don't suppose he's got any muscles to speak of at all in his legs. It's impossible for him to get up and walk. And yet Jesus says, get up, do it walk and we know jesus can say that because in jesus's words is the power to make that happen his words contain the actual authority his authority and the power to change that man's situation so that he can actually stand up and walk we, we, we heard that, didn't we, last week when that desperate father comes to Jesus and pleads with Jesus to go back and heal his son. And Jesus says, no, I'm not coming with you, but if you go back now, you'll find that your son is well. And Jesus speaks that word. And 15 miles away, Graham told us last week, 15 miles away, that young lad, that son, is healed at that very moment that Jesus speaks. Because Jesus' words contain that power to make the impossible possible. Absolutely amazing. That power that points to who Jesus is. This man gets up. You can imagine the scene, can't you? Well, I don't know what he'll be doing, but I can almost see him you know, walking around, running away and saying, I can walk. Look, guys, I can walk. You know, and there's confusion, there's excitement, there's noise, there's people saying, what's going on here? And then all of this, Jesus just slips quietly away and leaves the scene. Why did Jesus do that? Well, that's one of the questions I'll be asking in for our community groups. So join your community group this week. And that's one of the things that you can think about. Why did Jesus work like that? Why did he do that and then just quietly slip away? You know, we've had four encounters. Jesus has had four one-to-one -one encounters with people in John's gospel that we've looked at. And they're all very different people, aren't they? We have that religious leader of the hierarchy, Nicodemus, who comes looking for Jesus. And then we have last week that royal official from Herod's court, who also comes looking for Jesus for a very different reason. And then before that, we had the Samaritan woman. She's not looking for Jesus, but Jesus goes and finds her deliberately and has that conversation with her. And today, this guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. And yet Jesus goes and speaks to him specifically four different people very different backgrounds and yet the thing we see is this is that jesus wants to wants to have a one-to-one -one encounter with those people and when jesus speaks to them 
He speaks to them about the very things that they need. Jesus knows all about them. There is nothing hidden. That's why it was so embarrassing for the woman, wasn't it? When Jesus said, hey, you're not married, are you? You've had five husbands, but the guy you're with now, he's not your husband. Not the sort of thing you'd want to be known, is it? But Jesus knows, knows everything about these people. And of course, the reality is that God knows everything, everything about us. There is nothing hidden. If you read Psalm 139, it said, God knows where you're going to go before you get there. Before you've arrived at your destination, God knows where you're going to be. Before, you even, before we even speak a word, before it's formed on our lips, God knows what we're going to say. There's nothing hidden from him. And that can be pretty scary, can't it? Because the truth is there are things that we don't want anybody to see. Certainly not a holy God. And yes, God sees everything. And he has compassion on us. The end of Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And it ends up with this last line, Lead me in the way everlasting. That's what God wants us to do, is to come to him, recognizing that he knows all about us, but also knowing that he has compassion that is way beyond our understanding. His love and concern for us is so much greater, so much deeper than we could ever, that we could ever imagine because it's so different to the way that we are. And he calls us to come to him. Well, the man does what Jesus says and he gets up and he's healed. And we could say, well, that's a good story. End of story. And the man lived happily ever after, didn't he? Well, we don't know. But it isn't the end of the story. It isn't the end of the story. There's two more things that are going to happen first. And first of all, we read in verse 9, this, the day this took place was the Sabbath. Oh, my goodness. When it says, but this was the Sabbath, all of us probably realize that now this is going to cause an issue because the Jews were very clear about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. I think it was Roger a few weeks back who talked about some of the things. that They've got 39 activities, class, categories of activities that you could not do on the Sabbath because they were considered work. And one of them was carrying a burden. And this guy was carrying his mat. I don't, think, I don't suppose he was thinking about that at all. I'm sure if I'd just been healed, having not walked for 38 years, I would not be thinking about anything to do with carrying my mat. But the Jewish leaders saw him and they were concerned. There's a whole list of things that, you, that, that, that they couldn't do. And in fact, these 39 categories of work, which are all from many, many centuries ago, all being translated into modern day life for Orthodox Jews. So one of the things that you can't do on, a, on the Sabbath is shearing. You can't shear your animals, shear your sheep. The way that modern Orthodox Jews interpret that is that you can't cut your hair, have your hair cut on the Sabbath. But looking around the screen, I think maybe shearing might be more appropriate for some of us than a haircut today. But coming back to the man, he's carrying his mat, he's carrying his burden. It's not, that's not allowed. And that's what they focus in on, isn't it? They don't say, they don't make any reference to his healing. <laughs> All they're bothered about is that they're, he's breaking their rules, 
their interpretation of what Sabbath should be like. It's not God's interpretation, their interpretation. Man-made rules. You're carrying your burden and you shouldn't. Jesus actually said about the Pharisees, do you know what, guys, later, we can read this in, in Matthew's Gospel, he talks about the Pharisees putting burdens on people that they could not carry and not helping them with those burdens, imposing upon them these man-made rules which only pulled people down because they could not, they could not carry them out, they could not meet the, those expectations. Interestingly, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened, all you who are carrying burdens, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'm gentle. My burden is light. God's not interested in us following man-made rules. And even as Christians, the reality is we can become religious we can get into thinking that if we do things in a certain way, then somehow that, that earns us brownie points with God, and that's good. Well, that's not the way God works. God's interested in us knowing him and having a relationship with him now and forever. Jesus hasn't given up on this guy. Jesus has not finished with him, and he goes and finds him, doesn't he? Verse 14, he says, you're well again, you're well again, now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Strange thing we just go and say to him, stop sinning, something worse may happen to you. Now the truth is, of course, as we said, Jesus knows all about this guy and we don't. So when Jesus said that to him, there may be some specific issue or thing in mind that Jesus is putting his finger on and saying, you need to stop that. Stop it. But I think it has a wider application not for the man and also for each one of us. And, and what does he mean when Jesus said something worse could happen to you? I mean, what could be worse than being paralyzed and lying by that pool for I don't know how long out of his 38 years, those last 38 years? What could be worse than that? Well, here, let me turn that question around. What could be more important than being healthy? One or two of us are struggling with health issues. Is being healthy the most important thing? Well, it is important. Those of you who are feeling unhealthy will recognize that. And God's concerned about our physical health. So I'm not saying that at all. God was concerned about this. Jesus was concerned about this man's physical health. But is there anything more important than leaving a good, healthy, fulfilled, wonderfully prosperous life? Is there anything more important than that? And the answer is, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Those things may be good and it may be grace to enjoy that sort of life. But there's something more important than that. Let me just cut out now from that story to another story, a true story. And many of you will know the true story, so I'm not going to go into any details. But it's about a young lady, or she was young when it happened, a lady called Johnny Erickson Tardy. You'll know her, won't you? Because she was a very sporty young American. And at the age of 17, she dived in to a lake, I think it was, and she dis mistimed it. And so she ended up hitting her head on the bottom of the lake and she instantly was paralyzed. She became a quadriplegic, which means she lost 
all the movement in her arms and legs at the age of 17. And, the, and she talks, as you'll know if you've read her biography, about how that caused great depression. She was a Christian, but she just couldn't understand how this had happened. How had, how had God allowed this to happen? And she knows she knew this story of this man. This story that we read this morning was one of her stories that she hung on to. And she prayed and prayed time and time again that God would do for her what Jesus had done for this man. That she'd be freed from her paralysis. But he didn't. God didn't do that for her. He did some amazing things, and that's why it's worth reading her story. And she's written several books, but perhaps the most well-known is called An Unforgettable Story. If you want to go and buy that on Amazon or whatever else. I'm just going to read to her, though, because I've read an article that she wrote just last month. So this is, she's now nearly, she's around 70 years of age. So this, her accident happened a long time ago. And she's having a very bad day. One of the things she says is that she has pain every day of her life for the last 53 years. Some days it's not so, so bad, some days it's terrible. And this is one of the bad days. And she's having to ask her helper again to lie her down and put her into bed because of the pain. And this is what she says. She said, <clears throat> as she shifted, as her helper shifted my body, examining my legs and hips for pressure marks, I stared at the ceiling. I was done with being paralyzed. I was tired of the never ending day to day disability routines. I'd had my fill of it and I mumbled to the ceiling, I want to quit. And Frankie, my helper, paused and says, but I bet you can't wait for heaven. You know, like Paul said, we groan, longing to be clothed with the heavenly dwelling. And she writes, my eyes dampened again, but this time there were tears of relief. My Christian friend had just given me a very comforting, powerful reminder. Yes, it will be great, I said. And that afternoon, the verse, she shared with, the verse she shared stuck with me and I whispered a prayer. And I prayed, yes, Lord, I do look forward to being whole, to having a body that will never know pain. But to be honest, what I really want is a new heart that doesn't want to give up or quit. And I sat and I dreamed of what I've imagined a thousand times. Heaven. Jesus' death and resurrection secured for us many amazing things. And one is a firm hope of eternal life in the new heavens and new earth with no more sorrow, pain or tears. That's what she wrote last month. That man had had 38 years of paralysis. Johnny has had 53 years. But she has come to realize that there's something more important, more important than a healthy, a physically healthy life, or indeed any other sort of life. And that is to have the hope, the sure hope of eternal life. And that's why Jesus goes and finds this guy and speaks to him. Because Jesus was concerned about his physical health, but he's concerned about something more important for this man. He's concerned about his eternal life. And that's why I think behind whatever specific there might have been, Jesus is saying to him, you need to stop sinning. You need to change your ways. 
You need to go in a different direction. That's what the Bible calls repentance. You need to turn to me. And you need to trust in me. You need to believe in me. Follow me. And you can have that hope of eternal life. Next few verses just later on, I'm sure Darren will be focusing on this more next week, but just we read these words. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Verse 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He's crossed over from death to life. What could be more wonderful than that? And that's Jesus' call, if you like, and also promise to each and every one of us. Do we hear that? Have we responded to it? Are we continuing to respond to it? So today, we've been reminded that there's a God who knows all about us. We've been reminded that there's a God who has compassion for each and every one of us. Regardless of where we come from, regardless of what our background is, what sort of lives we've lived, God has compassion for us. And his compassion sent Jesus. We've learned about a God who is able to bring change in our lives, to make us whole, to make us more like you made us to be, to bring health in every way into our lives. And more than that, a God who promises the gift of eternal life. Some of us, I hope all of us, know that. And the question then for those of us who do know that, to go back to my very first remark, is to say, if we have the hope of eternal life, we need to be praying that God would enable us in some way to share that hope with other people who are desperate and lost if they do not know what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them and made possible for them. So as we come out, come at ease lockdown restrictions and as we come out of self-isolation or whatever it is, and the social distancing becomes less of an issue, let's be praying that God would bring us out of this time in a way that would make us more determined, more confident, about sharing that truth with other people. May God help us for his glory. Amen.